more somber. I'm trying to sound professional. Oh, I guess. Uh, oh, okay. All right, but I can stop. I'm not going to. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> no, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, we're back again for with the Cinema Discovery Project, uh, and. Yeah. Uh, how how's it been? I mean, are we still? Are you still like drowning in money from Endgame? Endgame's just like. Are, are there any other movies playing right now? Um, there I are. Think, I think I think playing. every theater is Endgame right now. That is very true. Every theater is Endgame right now, and it's been out for what three weeks? Almost Two three weeks. weeks almost month? almost three weeks. I think. Yeah, I I, lo- I lose I lose count of time after a while. You know what's you know what's you know what's what I'm ready for is John Wick three. That That's is this week. week. John Wick yes. Three is this week. As as of this recording, it's in a few days. Um, and then I didn't even realize this, but the live action Aladdin comes out the following week. And for some reason, I thought that that was a summer, like deep summer movie. Yeah. I don't know why I thought it was a May movie. Huh. Um, but I keep seeing a lot of build up for it online. A lot of trailers keep dropping. A lot of marketing for it. And I guess uh, Disney, you don't really need to put that much into marketing these movies there. They're they're already built in. They're already yeah, in the yeah. psyche. I mean, don't don't waste your money. But whatever, if you got money to burn, you got money to burn. Um, but yeah, it seems like it feels like we've been. It's it's only been two weeks since we recorded last, but it feels like a little longer. I don't know why. Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, we're a little bit behind. We're a day behind. But other than that, I mean, you know, we got so much going on in our outside of this podcast. It just yeah, I mean, that's yeah. very true. Like life just kind of takes over and. You just end up drifting with it, I guess. <laughs> like you've been, wa- like you, river, you've been like watching a, a lot of you've been watching a lot of stuff. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of things. I've been watching. Coincidentally, I was on a, a documentary um, kind of kick recently, where I just went and watched a lot of documentaries that I had just been putting off for years. Yeah. Uh, things like um, Twenty Feet from Stardom, which won the Oscar a few years ago. Uh, Stories we tell the the uh, documentary by the actress Sarah Polly, who's now turned um, filmmaker. Minding the Gap, which came out last yeah, year, yeah, 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 which was I believe an an Oscar nominee. It was, um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It lost to um, the rock climbing movie, which was fantastic. Free Solo, Free Solo, Free yeah. Solo, and then I watched Apollo Eleven, the new documentary. I've heard about that's the, great. I've heard that's the Apollo great. Eleven. It is fantastic. They they've taken all of this real real footage. And made it epic, you know what I mean? Made yeah, yeah. it very cinematic, and it's you kind of have to be a big fan of you know space exploration and all that kind of stuff to really dive into it. But if you are, it's pretty great. And there've been so many documentaries about the Apollo missions, and specifically Apollo Eleven, which is the one, the first one where we where we landed on the moon. Well, according to some, we did. According to some, we didn't. But when you're watching this footage. It's really hard not to believe that we did in fact land on the moon. Yeah, like it's yeah. some of this footage is, is incredible, um, just just amazing. I've always been a big fan of space and space exploration, but um, getting into our main topic of the week, we might as well dive into it if we're talking about things we love, and that is the independent cinema movement. Of what would you call it, Steve? In the eighties, the nineties. Yeah, you know the the late eighties, early you know late eighties into the nineties. You know we yeah. You know end up you know independent cinema has its ebbs and flows. You know it, right. even from from early in the you know the the forties and fifties and stuff like that. But um, you know specifically, we want to talk about uh, which is very near and dear to us because this is kind of when we grew up. Uh, it's yeah. through this movement. Um, and and these filmmakers are still kind of having an effect today. Some of them are still kind of playing in the independent realm. Some of them have kind of graduated up into uh, higher budget filmmaking. <laughs> that is uh, true. But but Some, a lot of them are still in the on yeah. the ground floor, man. They're still doing their thing. Yeah, and it's very interesting where we pinpoint these group of filmmakers because uh, for me, I'm, I'm always compartmentalizing. Hist- historical movements or moments like how does one flow into the next one or who is yeah. the next generation after this generation and specifically for me where where this generation of you know 80s and 90s um filmmakers came from is kind of born in this in the late 70s with the Sundance Film Festival being founded now it wasn't called the Sundance Film Festival until like 1991 but yeah. we always just call it that because it's an it's a cooler, easier name to call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, it was I think it was called the 
the Utah U.S. Film Festival or yeah, something. Yeah, that's gross. Like that. That's gross. I yeah, don't like it. It, 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 yeah, it's very. It's too official. It's <laughs> way too official, too bureaucratic, and it was very non-bureaucratic. You know, it was a place for to make not only people aware of you know the uh, the Utah being a very beautiful place to shoot movies, but also kind of championing independent cinema and giving independent cinema a place to showcase the the films basically yeah. you know the sundance institute now is is in place where uh filmmakers can get grants and use facilities and do all kind of stuff to make movies they distribute some films as well um it's very very interesting how that about how that has grown and how just the festival circuit in general has grown to be an international thing you know yeah. what i mean the Cannes film festival has been around for many many decades and that was, you know, that's a big prestige one. It still is rather a big prestige one. But you get these smaller ones like Sundance, like Telluride, which Stephen went to yeah, yeah. last year. And you've got South by Southwest. Uh, Tribeca Film Festival is also one that was founded much later, though. That was founded, I think, by uh, Robert De Niro in, like, after 9-11. I think he, he, founded, he founded that. Um, and, but that place, I always think of Tribeca as kind of like an educational one. Like, that's the one where they have all these panels and talks and these uh, reunions. Like, I think, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, they had like uh, a reunion for the cast of Heat. And that's yeah, not. Yeah. And then they, they put that on the, the anniversary edition Blu-ray for Heat. Um, I think Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro go there all the time and talk about it. Because, you know, they're New York you know, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's their that's their place. But anywho, Sundance Film Festival, like I said, is is a place that's still around where people submit their films and are looking for distribution. Essentially, it's usually Plus, the first big independent film thing yeah, at, of the year. Yeah, because it comes out early like in the year. February. Yeah, it's usually yeah, like yeah. January, February, somewhere around there. And I don't know if you know this, but it is very very cold there that time oh of it's year yeah it's, it's kind of one even though it's one of the considered one of the the premier independent film uh festivals it's like and it's a beautiful place during that time of the year but it's freaking cold it's yeah. it's it's crazy i mean i i would love to go one day but honestly i i have a feeling it wouldn't be as great of an experience as i had at tell you ride yeah where it was I, warmer and it was i yeah. mean yeah i know um people who go there every year um, Alicia Malone goes there like almost every year and she always had these great vlogs of her walking through these snowy streets like late at night after screenings where it's like you know single digit degrees and it's like snowing <laughs> like torrentially snowing and I'm like I love I love movies but getting frostbite scares the heck out of me <laughs> you know what I I'm mean? sure it's a little easier when you're kind of like a special guest of the festival. Well, well I think you... she goes. Well, she goes as press. You know, what well, I mean? that's what I'm press, saying. But still, press I mean, passes she's, and stuff. She's like that. known there. There, she's gonna get a lot more benefits. You still got to walk through the snow. Sure, it's, it's cold. sure. It's but cold. I mean, is, I think it's a sometimes like because it's in the mountains, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah. So sometimes you gotta like where you're staying versus where like the villages. You gotta take like one of those sky those ski lift things, and you know. And she probably has. She probably scary. is able to get a place in the, in the town. I'm sure. I don't think there are any places in town. I think it's just like the cinemas and stuff. I don't uh, know. I, I have no idea. If it's how, like Telluride, there's a place in town. Yeah. I mean, it's... yeah. I have no idea how it's structured. All I know is, it every single year, it's it's a big event for independent cinema. Oh yeah. A lot of people go there for um to get distribution. You get a lot of interviews with mm -hmm. a lot of people. And what's interesting though is it's independent cinema has grown so much now that it's not only, you know, it's not only the the obscure directors or the obscure actors and actresses trying to make their way up in the world. Sometimes it's very much mainstream people that you've seen who happen to be in smaller movies. And now these smaller movies, um, you know, indie, I'm using quote, indie budgets aren't what they used to be. You know, indie budget for me can can be anything from thousands of dollars to like, you know, 10 15 20 million that seems to be the range of quote indie budget movies at least in my opinion because you see that very often and we always talk about you know the mid-range um the, the 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 loss of the mid-range budget films 
And it's very interesting where the low budget kind of cuts off and the mid range takes over. And it's getting to the point where you don't really know where those lines are anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like it, the, everything just keeps growing and growing over time, you know, the way economics work and whatnot. But specifically for this independent movement, some of the names that have come out of it, you know, before, you know, because we really want to highlight a lot of these people. And it's big names, big names that you wouldn't have. Um, you know, that you wouldn't that you wouldn't necessarily believe that they started out in such a small realm. Um, people like um, Quentin Tarantino, you know, David O. Russell, Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven Soderbergh, uh, James Wan, um, Jim Rich- Jarmusch is kind of still in that Richard realm. Richard Linklater. Richard Linklater started off in this whole independent cinema movement. I don't know if he was specifically in the Sundance realm. But I know he's from that generation. Yeah. Um, Kevin Smith is another one from that generation, one of my favorites. Um, and like I said, it kind of all started in the late 70s and kind of morphed into the 80s and we got to the 90s. But for me, this kind of new indie film movement came after the new Hollywood movement of the of the 60 late 60s and 70s which had you know gigantic names yeah i mean a lot yeah a lot of what happened was is, is the independent players of that time created the blockbuster what I mean, happened your, is your, like your spielbergs and yeah. your lucases made changed independent cinema again and because well, you know star wars is an independent movie really? yeah <laughs> i mean what is interesting is they kind of brought their their independent small movie style to Hollywood, to the mainstream. Yeah. You know what I mean? And a lot of the generation after them learned from watching their movies. You know what I mean? It's like they graduated up from their world of indie films, which happened to be, you know, uh, maybe like Roger Corman B movies that Coppola did and Scorsese did. And, and, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, isn't his first movie was a TV movie. Uh, uh, Duel is a TV movie. And, you know, they graduated up into, you know, working for uh, 20th Century Fox, Universal, um, Warner Brothers, all these big, big corporations, Paramount and whatnot. And then the next generation took a different path to get to the mainstream. They took an independent cinema movement and kind of had great success there. And then kind of like the whole movement then shifted into the mainstream. It's weird, and I'm going to kind of break it down for you. Basically, um, you know, we have the big studios that we all know of today. Disney, 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal. Well, 20th Century Fox uh, kind of doesn't exist anymore. But anyway, not, well, that's not a anymore, different story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It kind of <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. We don't have to talk about we that. Have, <laughs> yeah, you know, Sony Pictures, well, Columbia. Co- Columbia, yeah. Columbia was around until Sony bought it in the early 90s, coincidentally. MGM was still around. MGM uh, is still around, kind of, but it's owned by, it's, like, It's owned by Warner some, Brothers, I think. Uh, it's owned by some conglomerate group somewhere. I don't know. Anywho, but all of these independent uh, other studios, smaller studios, cropped up, and a lot of them... Uh, still exist today, but they've now become subsidiaries of the bigger people. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the two major players of that time were uh, New Line and Miramax. Yeah, and even Castle Rock, I guess, to a certain extent. Yeah. Coincidentally, both New Line and Castle Rock are both subsidiaries of Warner Brothers now. Yeah. Miramax was bought by Disney at one point, and now Miramax kind of doesn't... It, it exists, but... It's not has to, it doesn't have anything to do with Disney anymore. It's owned by some other company. Um, it's it, it it kind of went like the way of like a lot of corporations go. You know, that kind of yeah. just changes hands over time and it kind of just goes away. I really want to see who actually owns Miramax now, but Disney owned it for a while. But that company was founded by and um, was founded by the Weinstein's. Harvey Weinstein, you know, that piece of trash human being. Yeah. Bob Weinstein, his brother. Um, yeah, it was founded in, like, 1979. So it's, it's, you know, it was part of that whole movement, too. It is, man, I'm trying to see. It's a subsidiary and, of somebody. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> it's know. It's a subsidiary these, and, of somebody now. Yeah, these, but these, yeah, these small, these studios started out independent. And when, yes. and as the, 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 when they got, when they had their big, big successes, you know, right. for instance, with, Miramax, it was uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. 
yeah, um, from some from Soderbergh. That was a big success for them. And then they had like Pulp Fiction come out. Yes. And and they got very popular. And then when they got popular, then the big companies wanted to buy them out. Yes, um, they do. And 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 that's just how business is. That's you know that's but it's perpetual. You know you know nowadays all these you know these independent studios that are now bought by the bigger companies, but now you got new independent studios cropping up like a two four. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 a cycle. You know, there's always yeah. going to be another player in town. But what is interesting, though, is that's kind of what you if, if you're at that time, if you're one of these small studio companies and one, you want to have success, but two, you also want to make uh, money and there's no bigger money than being bought out by a bigger company. That's kind of what yeah. you want. I mean, that's kind of what you're looking for, a big a big or, payout, a big payday. Yeah, you know, and yeah. basically, essentially what happened is these big studios saw, man, these independent companies, they're starting to make some money, so we got we to gotta do stuff. We got to do stuff like they do. So they started um, not only scooping up, like, New Line and Castle Rock and Miramax, but they started making their own, um, like, independent, you know, uh, subsidiaries within yeah. their own companies. And that's when you get... Uh, Sony Pictures Classic, which which has been around since 1992, Fox Searchlight. We all know Fox Searchlight. Yeah. Paramount. But, you know, Paramount. Yeah. Paramount Vantage was one yeah. that that went defunct in 19 in 2013. Focus Features came out a little later, and that's part of Universal. They came out around 2002, um, and then the Warner Independent Pictures was the small one that was from like 2003 to 2008. But they, like I said, they have New Line. They've got Castle Rock. I think wrote. Um, is it Roadshow or something like that? They, yeah. There's a bunch of these. You got to look up all. It's like a, it's like a, one of those big like family tree uh, charts where it's like here's the main patriarch or yeah. matriarch up top, and that's this is how that person's and related. This is how that person's related. And, and, and I mean, <laughs> shit. There's a lot of film, a lot of uh, you know, film or at, filmmakers and actors that all have their own little studios, little yes. little production companies. You know, they, 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 they go on forever. I mean, like Brad Pitt's got Plan B. Yeah, you know, you know. I mean, it's, every, what's um, uh, I was gonna say, a bad robot is J.J. Abrams. Is J.J. You know? Abrams, you know, and they and, got and what happens is, is and I think pop- he's, ju- I think he's selling bad robot. Oh, <laughs> like I heard I, that. Yeah, I wonder how much he's selling it for. We should. Oh, team I'm up, sure it's Steven. gonna go for. A, I, I bet you. I, I think I can scrounge <laughs> up enough money. Yeah, we'll, I know. we'll buy it. Sell our souls to the devil or whomever. Yes. <laughs> I'll do it. Um, it basically what happens is, a lot of times these smaller production companies team up with other production companies to fund a film. I mean, shit. I mean, wasn't the Lord of the Rings movies partially produced by New Line Cinema? The Lord of the Rings films, if you look at those credits, um, Wingnut is uh, Peter Jackson's company, I believe, but it was also New Line. MGM was in there. Um, The Weinsteins initially had the rights to it, like back in the 90s when they wanted to make it like one film or like two films. But then, like, but then they kind of bowed out. But they still had to have like credit on it and get some money because of rights issues. Man, you if you want to go down a like a weird, weird rabbit hole of like rights issues, it's it's interesting but complicated as heck. That's what lawyer. That's what lawyers are for. That's what lawyers are for, and that's and it's really, really interesting film production wise. When you see all of those credits at the beginning of a movie. And it's just all of these different company names that keep flashing up at you. They all have their um, their hands in in the in the film somehow. Whether yeah. it's active, whether it's really active, or whether it's just you know throwing money at a project. But that's how kind of independent films are made. It's a very much a group effort of getting these small production companies. Um, together to make a movie or just one will get the funding from somewhere and then you take it to a Sundance, a South by Southwest, a Telluride, um, someplace, can, wherever, and you look for distribution because that's the key in... That's the you want to get it to as many cinema. eyes as possible, yeah. Yeah, the key with independent cinema is to get your movie uh, picked up for distribution so it can be seen and you can actually start making money on it because... Up until that point, you're just sinking money into a project and, and not and, making anything from it. Yeah, and, and before this indie boom in the '90s, you know, independent cinema was kind of just a, you know, uh, you know, just a, a something that very few people could get their eyes on, you know. But then when it started to have its boom, you started to see like more art cinema, art art theaters, and and more of these places where 
you know, even the common person could go see these movies. Yeah, um, it's really only been within the last, I probably since this boom that you can actually see independent films, well, most independent films in in multiplexes or yeah, yeah. in our house cinemas, like you said. Before then, you know, there wasn't a lot of, um, not a lot of access, not a lot of distribution. I mean, some sometimes some big companies would pick up a film. And then dis- and distribute it like a Paramount would pick well, the thing, up. Well, the thing is, is during this time we we were having the also the boom of home media. Um, you know, yes. you were getting V. This was the as they call it, the VHS generation. Yeah, the eighties. Uh, yeah, so you know, you you could see these movies eventually. Uh, you would probably not hear about them until they came out on VHS. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the home yeah the home video market, the home rental market, it was a huge bubble in the 80s and 90s, the blockbusters of the world yes. and all these other rental places that now really don't exist. They just kind of morphed into the digital era with yep. Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. That's where you rent your movies now. Um, it's very interesting how independent cinema has evolved from that point now. A lot of independent films don't even go to cinemas anymore. They're looking for distribution in other areas, digital distribution, Netflix, like I said, or even Amazon or anything like that, you know, there's, but, but, but see now with that, and I know we're delving yeah. down a yeah, rabbit, that's hole, down of, of, the rabbit but, hole, but, 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 you know, even with that, there's the conversation of, you know, even when you're seeking digital, now you're just putting yourself in just such a big pool of saturation right. where, whether yeah. you might not even, even though it's so accessible that there's so much crap out there that you won't even be seen. That's true. It's almost That's now. True. It's almost now that the reverse is the better play, even though it's the harder play. It's yeah. you got to work harder to get the, theatrical distribution so that you have a better chance of people actually seeing it because there's not so much saturation. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if the end goal is to make money, or sure, if you're wanting to make money, yeah, if you want to make money, take the take the best deal you take the deal you can find. Yeah. You know what I mean? Take the deal you can get. But kind of reeling things back a little bit because I tend to go down alleyways. Yeah, we're yeah. Get back. Back but on the '90s talk, scene, <laughs> I want to talk about some of the, the specifically some of the filmmakers that came out of this era and how different they are from one another, and kind of how you why why were their films popular enough for them to become you know household names? And where what are they different now? About them? And where are, and where they, are they now? They now? <laughs> so so I don't know. I like to start with one of the early ones. For me, Steven Soderbergh, I think, yeah. is one of the early early ones. Uh, Sex Lies and Videotape came out. Uh, in the late 80s, and that was a big hit at yeah. Sundance. And that came out in 1989. And the year that was of my birth. Hit. The year of Stephen's birth. <laughs> an important year, I guess. Yes. Um, and it's a film, to me, that I, well, when I first watched it, I loved it. You know, I've watched it several times since, and I still really like it. It's so small. The things with a lot of these first films from some of these directors, they're so small in scope, but what they're saying and what they're showing us is very wide you know it's very a macro it's saying so much you know as, I mean? as you know you know there's there's also another element to this that is what it takes is, is a part of what makes this movement stand out and that is is the technology too like film the oh, cameras yeah. and things the technology was changing and people were things getting were more ac- you were getting yeah. more access to the, the that stuff it, too it was still tough I remember, yeah. I remember. Oh yeah. I remember. I mean, if you want to see a, a you know, uh, see a movie that's made all like on a shoestring budget, you watch something like Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi. Yeah. I think it was made for a couple of thousand dollars, and the way he was doing it was just like guerrilla style filmmaking oh, yeah. down to the bone. Like he was recording audio on like cassette tapes. You know what I mean? And he was doing like, you know, this was the era of kind of like video cameras where you would record things on videotape and things like that where film film was too expensive. That's why a lot of people are are went, went digital because film was just so expensive, especially if you're like a young filmmaker in his early 20s and you don't have any like real connection to the film business or anything like that. You've got to like rent, you know, you got to find equipment in any way you can. And the cheapest stuff was, you know, 16 millimeter like was stuff instead of 35 millimeter or sometimes you would have to shoot in black and white the reason why clerks is in black and white is because it was cheaper 16 millimeter 
black and white. That movie was made for $29,000, and Kevin Smith put it all on a credit card. That's how he paid <laughs> for it. You know what I mean? And it was shot, like, at the quick stop he worked at. You know what I mean? Uh, El Mariachi was shot, um, you know, in places that um, Robert Rodriguez had access to. And he was, like... And, and the way he shot that movie, he's just, like... He, like he basically tells people it was just things I had access to. Like, in the opening shot of that movie, there's, like, a turtle crossing the road or something like that. And it's like, yeah, yeah we just found a turtle and we, we just shot it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, that's how it is. One of the main elements I really have an appreciation for, for for the filmmakers of this time is that they basically had to become, you know, uh, you know, knowledgeable in all aspects of making movies, you know, cause like somebody like Robert Rodriguez also edits a lot of his films. Yeah. He's very hands-on, very, very hands-on, you know, he probably even, you, you know, even, you know, handles the camera himself a lot of oh, times. Yeah. yeah he um, really, he's really involved in, and, and like going back to sexualized and videotape. Well, Soderbergh, uh, you know, does a lot that of cinematography. Was probably the most like professional of like these one of these early filmmakers. He and Quentin Tarantino had a more professional vibe to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the sense, like these were, yeah, I mean, these weren't well-known actors at the time, um, especially you know, specifically you know, Sex Lies and Videotape, um, but they were professional actors. You know what I mean? Like these were these weren't like. These weren't like local actors or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, These yeah. Were real they were actors. faces you might know. Yeah. You know, Reservoir Dogs. Have you you know that cast? Harvey Keitel. You know, oh, yeah. worked with Scorsese. Steve Buscemi, I believe at that point had already worked with the Coen Brothers a little bit. You know, he had been around. You had um, Tim Roth. Else? Tim and... Roth was in that film. Uh, you had um, Michael Madsen was in that yeah. film. You had you know you had some names in there, but someone like. Kevin Smith or Robert Rodriguez, these were no-name actors. The Kevin Smith, I know specifically on Clerks, um, those were kind of just like local actors that were in it. I mean, I mean and his friends were in it. Um, you know, his friends showed up like multiple, to play multiple characters in different parts of the movie. Um, it was very, very interesting, the making of that movie. But El Mariachi is interesting as well because I remember there's this book called... Um, Oh man, I have to look it up. But it's it's the book. Um, it's a book by Robert Rodriguez about yeah, filmmaking. Yeah, yeah uh, Rebel Without about. a Crew. That's what yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a diary of of his filmmaking process. And like he went and like submitted himself for like you know those those like uh like psychological experiments where like they'll put you they'll like drug testing or something like that like a like stress he, test kind of thing uh, like maybe they're testing a drug like a like a med sure. like something like that and they need like human people to sign up to do it or they'll do psychological testing by you know putting people in scenarios or locking people away or whatever it is anywho he signed up for stuff like that to get money for this <laughs> to make El Mariachi you know what i mean like it's, it's real down and dirty type stuff to get things done um, very, you know what I mean, just fascinating stuff. And that movie ended up being a big hit. It ended up being bought by, I believe, um, Sony at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then and he went on to make Desperado, yeah. which um, which is basically a continuation of El Mariachi. It's mostly yeah. a remake of El Mariachi. Yeah, I was going to say it's With a bigger of, budget. Yeah, it's kind of like something like, like with Hitchcock, where Hitchcock remade some of his movies. Yeah. You know, because he he had better you know better budgets for him. Yeah, essentially. You know. Um, you know, and he and through someone like Robert Rodriguez, he he brought in actors like Selma Hayek. You know, yep. he he discovered her. Uh, Antonio Banderas started with him, um, and he um, he became D- Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo, I mean, another is, one. You know, somebody that is that just won't go away. He's in everything. <laughs> That's true. But <laughs> another uh, kind of other actors who cropped up, um, w- um, both Kevin Smith and Richard Linklater um, kind of started the career of Ben Affleck. Yeah, Ben yeah. Affleck was in Dazed and Confused, which I think is his first film role, as well as Matthew McConaughey is in there as well. And you, and that's McConaughey's first film role, as well. And Kevin Smith kind of used Ben Affleck. Was in... was Dazed and Confused before Texas Chainsaw Two? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, it was. okay. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. I, I, I know. Yeah, very interesting. Coincidentally, um, Renee Zellweger was in 
uh, dazed and confused. She's yes. the girl who walks by, and then Matthew McConaughey has that famous line, you know, the one thing I like about those high school girls is I get older, they stay the same age. It's yeah. actually really creepy in hindsight. <laughs> but the, one, the girl that walks by right before he says that is Renee Zellweger. Yeah. And Renee, Renee Zellweger is in Texas Chainsaw New Generation or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. With Matthew McConaughey. A very weird connection there. But all these actors at the time are just trying to find work, so you get what you can get. But Ben Affleck was in um, uh, Mallrats. He yep. was in Chasing Amy. He Dogma. Was in Dogma. He was even in Jane Silent Bob. Yeah, apparently, apparently they had back. a apparently they had a falling out. They, yeah, they but... had a falling out like in somewhere in the two thousands, I think, where I think that just Kevin Smith just I guess said some stuff that Ben Affleck didn't want him to say, and then they kind of had. Like, I've heard. I've out. heard that there might be a recon- re- reconciliation I, soon. Maybe. I, I don't know. know. We'll see. I don't there know. needs what? to be. There needs they, to be. It does need to be, but Ben Affleck, you know, was a huge star in the early 2000s, but he got his start during this independent cinema movement. Um, and you got, and the difference in these directors, kind of want to backtrack and get into there, like Steven Soderbergh really, I think, relies on um, dialogue. And oh, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a very, writer. yeah, I was going to say meticulous writer. Sex, yeah, Sex Lies and Videotape. Um, really strong thematic film, uh, at least in my opinion, really strong film. Like I said, a very professional, well done film, but very small. Um, and then he he did, um, you know, King of the Hill, uh, which yeah. was you know uh, talk about another person who was in that movie that was um, that's a young actor is you know Jesse Bradford. He went on to be in a few things, but he but he graduated up to. Um, making larger movies, movies like Traffic, um, Ocean's Eleven, um, Aaron Brock. 12, 13. 12, 13, <laughs> he did do that. But he's someone who has still stayed with, with oh, yeah. in that indie realm specifically, and he's someone who got actually coincidentally got fed up with the the distribution game the studio years system ago. yeah yeah he was at the san francisco film festival and he had this great speech you can find it on youtube and vimeo and places like that where he just basically tells you how big of a pain in the ass it is to get distribution in the modern age through the studio system he's just he was just like i'm done i'm done doing it and yeah. then he kind of quote unquote retired but he he has since come back. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he, away. Now, now he's away. now he's making movies on cell phones and, and he's, yeah, now he's making <laughs> he, movies on cell phones and stuff like he's that. Ma- he's trying to push what what it means to make how you know in this new age of everybody having a camera, um, you know, trying to show you what you can do with just the camera in your pocket, pretty much. Uh, which is um, pretty, which is shows cool. a lot of talent, but it's I, tough. <laughs> it's you know, I just I make some movies on a real camera man someone and someone who i mean didn't really quite graduate to the mainstream big budget film world studio world is richard linklater he's yeah. always stayed in that indie realm he's, he kind of comes back he comes out every once in a while but his movie even his successful movies aren't big budgeted well, they're yeah, not big, but no, they're not big budget but like i mean boyhood he, he, wasn't a big budgeted movie well no but school of rock was a kind school of, of a, rock was more mainstream yeah, because it had Jack Black in it, who was kind of a bigger star at the time, and it had. A, but Joan Cusack is kind of in the indie. Has always been in the. Indie well, no, realm. it's it's a mid budget movie. Yeah, it's, it's defi- a mid budget movie. But yeah, he's, yeah. Never, he's never done like I don't know. No, he's never come movie. out and done some superhero movie or anything. Like no, that, or no. anything like a hundred million dollars or anything like that. No. You know what I mean? Um, and he's always stayed in that realm, and he's had an eclectic group of films. I think yeah. for me. But he's always stayed with very meaningful films. He's probably my favorite director of this time. Yeah, period. man. Yeah. I the reason why is you know the before trilogy I think is, is something amazing. on another level. Um, I would even say Slacker is one of the most important Slacker is films a very important movie out of that time period. In that time period, because it's a movie. You probably have heard this many, many times. It's a movie about nothing. And it's also a movie about everything. You thought you thought really Seinfeld was the one that started that. No. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not. It's just a movie, and it's the way it's shot and the way it's done is there's no plot to it. It's just people. It's just a camera following people, and it just follows one person well, walking down the street, and then it'll just all of a sudden start following the next person in and out of buildings, in and out of places, scenarios. It's so it's it's so interesting how well, it's able to get across section of 
a population. Yeah, and and and, and what you can see is the kind of uh, the thing that's a running theme here um, with these filmmakers is that the writing is is what is what carry makes these movies great. Yeah, um, the they're all writers before they are directors essentially but and that's one of the things that you can knock by not even knock but like um some of the early films there's not a lot of great flourishes when it comes to cinematography or things like that it's kind of just you know the dialogue carries the movie very raw they're very raw movies for some of them someone like tarantino who's always had he's always had the stylized flourishes because he he's taken all of those visual cues from the things he loved watching sure. when he was younger. You know, even in Reservoir Dogs, that's there, but it's definitely in Pulp Fiction, you know, and so on and so on. But someone like, um, like, a, like for example, Kevin Smith, if you watch Clerks, the camera doesn't, there's not a lot of editing. There's not, it, there's not a lot of movement. There's not a lot there's, of movement. Everything yeah. is done in basically two shots where just two people talking. It's a very stripped down version of filmmaking that is a very indie, almost, you know, um, film school version of filmmaking. And some of these, you know, um, you know, some of some of these filmmakers went to film school and some of them didn't. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino famously never went to film school. Or he did and then he dropped out after like a well, week he, or something. Well, he went he took some workshops, I think, but other than that he didn't really go to a, like a some four year thing or no, anything. No, like no, no. Like a USC or a UCLA. No, he, he or I think a, he took some workshops uh, after he made his first like for it was like what the best friend whatever it's called right. he made some movie before he made uh, reservoir dogs yeah and... And i know but i think is i know that um i'm pretty sure link later went to he went to a small texas college i'm pretty sure yeah um i know i think robert rodriguez went to university of texas and i know he went i think he went to film school but i know that um I think so. Don't quote me on this, but I know Richard Linklater has some type of background in philosophy because mm-hmm. his his especially his early films dealt a lot with philosophy. Yeah. Um well, most a lot of his movies yeah. have to do with time. You know, they de- they're dealing with so. themes of time and yeah. Yeah, time and romance and human connection. Yeah. That's a lot that's a lot of what was great about some of these filmmakers is these films felt very human. Very they're all per- they're more personal filmmakers, but and that's what and and even today, you know, that's what independent cinema does a lot is that yes. they bring it to a more personal level instead of films that are all about story and and mythology and plot and things like that. You know, right? You get a lot more. You know, it, it, you're able to connect with the audience on a much more human level, so they're able to feel like they're participating in the movie yeah. as opposed to. You know, as opposed to watching an action movie where they could never do any of these things. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Let's watch the seventh, eighth Fast and the Furious film. Let's, yeah. let's go see cars <laughs> jump between buildings and shit. Yeah, I can relate to that. Who can't? Who can't? I know. Oh, man. It's very interesting how, um, like, to see where a lot of these uh, directors' uh, careers went and. They're all still pretty relevant, like we've said. Um, for the most I, part, yeah. For the most part. I mean, I would say Quentin Tarantino is probably the most well-known probably. out of all of these. Out of all of them. I know Paul Thomas Anderson, though, when it comes to cinephiles, he's pretty godlike, if you He's will. maybe the best. <laughs> he's, yeah. I Cl- called... he, that, them, him and Linklater are the two best, I think, out of that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just thinking about it, you're kind of right. I was going to say something else, but I couldn't remember what it was. Um, I mean, it, Soderbergh, of course, is is kind of godlike to independent people too. The, yeah, but. the thing with Soderbergh though is I'm so so surprised at just the sheer volume of films he's put out. Yeah, yeah. It's the complete opposite of someone like Tarantino who has only done what nine films so far. Well, yeah, but you know how he is, man. He's all about his legacies. Yeah, he's all about taking taking time. He's very nuanced. Um, for me, Soderbergh is kind of like, uh, like. Like he's gonna do what he's gonna do it now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's he has a more um you know, sense of urgency, if you will. You and then and like and then somebody like Kevin Smith kinda just uh Kevin if he Smith feels like a, if he feel like feels like making something today, he might think try to do it. For me, Kevin Smith has always been someone I've admired he, greatly for him as a person than yeah. I have for necessarily for his work. I was gonna say I like his personality I like his personality more than I like he's him as a filmmaker. Very, he's very human. 
and he's very honest. He's that's the one thing about him that I've always loved is his honesty. Like he he says like yeah, Mallrats is not a good movie because. I didn't know what I was doing at the time yeah. because I just made Clerks and then Universal gave me like $10 million. And like he, he was like, the only thing I knew at the time was to make a movie with my friends. And that's what he did was yeah. make Mallrats into a movie with his friends. And, and the thing with his early films is it was all personal films to him. Clerks was, you know, he worked as a clerk. He was a mall rat, someone who hung out at a mall. Chasing Amy was was... Uh, something that a relationship that he was kind of almost going through um but actually it was more scott Mosier who was his partner he was going yeah. through that but it was also a combination of both things that were happening at the time there's a great documentary called tracing amy that's the making of chasing amy that's on the blu-ray it's really fantastic that movie was another low-budgeted film but i think that movie thematically is very interesting when it comes to to human romantic relationships and people's uh, self-doubt getting in the way of true romantic happiness yeah. and just their own stupidity getting in their own insecurities taking over their lives but then after that he made dogma which was his kind of religious film because he grew up in that religious world um but then you know he kind of did jane silent bob to try to connect this whole view askew universe um but then after that was when he went kind of tried to go main mainstream with big budget and it just didn't work he was making nah, movies yeah. that were uncomfortable. I for mean, him. the thing is, 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 is I, 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 like I said, I, I'm not as huge of a fan of I'm him a as a fan. fan. You can tell I'm trying to like. I, I can tell it. you, I can tell you, you really like his. Well, the thing is, I studied films, his. But, yeah, I studied his work, and it's only like now that he's going back to his roots with making movies like uh, Tusk and Yoga Hosers that he's. I do kind, like Tusk. Tusk is actually a great dark comedy. I watched yeah. it first time as like a serious movie, and then I watched it the second time as if it was a dark comedy, and it plays very well as a dark yeah. comedy. Yeah. Um, when he went his more serious route with Red State, Red State's a, Red State's a crazy movie. Uh, that's more horror than anything. Um, but he, he is kind. Of, but like yet again, he's more. He's been more of an inspiration for me because of his honesty, yeah. and because of where he started from. You know, he was a a suburb kid from. New Jersey who collected comic books and like Batman. That's yeah. where his origins start. I, that's relatable to me. Sure. As yeah. opposed to somebody who, you know, went to like USC or went to NYU. That's not really something I can relate to because I didn't go to film school. I, you know what I mean? Or anything like that. But he went to film school, but it was like a one-year program. Yeah. Got the basics, you, maybe some gives basics. Gives you a degree. Down. You know what I mean? Um, but someone like... Um, that PTA we've talked about. I think well, the we're, we're, there's one person we've forgotten, Spike we Lee. Forget? Spike kind Lee of... was that's interesting because he started kind of right in the middle of the eighties. Yeah. And he went to NYU and his films are independent films. Yeah. Um by the time the nineties came around, I think he had started to go more mainstream. Because I just I think of Malcolm X. I guess I guess like as mainstream as you can get with with him, but I mean, I don't. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's always been in the indie realm. You are yeah. right. Spike Lee is a great, a great, um, a great example of starting off early because he, he, and even someone. I'm gonna bring up a name here that I also a Lee Ang Lee, yeah, uh, is another one kind of in this world who came up at this time. And Ang Lee and Spike Lee were actually at NYU together at the same time in college, in film school. Um, and I think they, that's how they knew each other from there. And very interesting how they emerged. Another kind of thing that kind of emerged in the late 80s and into the 90s was a director by the name of John Woo. Yeah. John Woo started off making these amazing Hong Kong action films. And basically Hollywood saw how people were reacting to them and how successful they were. And they brought him over to make his own Americanized versions of those movies. So he kind of got taken from the international indie realm where he was working with a, an actor many people probably know, Chow Yun-Fat, kind of, he started there. Um, and he and he started making Americanized versions of his movies, like I said. And some good, death, death some bad. Warrant. <laughs> some good, some bad for John Woo. I'm I mean, sorry, his, not Death Warrant. I'm sorry. Uh, Hard Target was the one yeah, he did. Hard Target yeah. was his first American movie, and then he did yeah. Broken Arrow, which I just don't mm. like with Travolta and uh, Christian Slater. 
But he did do Face Off. He did do Face Off, which some people love, some people uh, don't. You should all love it, guys. That movie's crazy. That movie <laughs> has like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's Take his face <laughs> off. Oh, man. Nick Cage, talk about somebody coming out of the indie realm. In the 80s, when he was kind of a nobody, because, um, you know, he's the nephew of uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. When he started out his career, I think he's he started out with the credits as Nick Coppola. Because he was yeah, in Fast yeah. Times at Ridgemont High as one of like the high school kids in the background or whatever, and he was like credited as Nick Coppola, but he didn't get, um, into, he didn't like he kind of started in the indie realm doing a Coen Brothers film. Um, I was Coen gonna Brothers. say we we haven't brought up the Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers started started in the indie world as well, where they started off with Blood Simple, which is an amazing first film. A lot of these first films by some of these directors are fantastic. Like you watch them and you're like, Hard Eight. Hard Eight from PTA. Hard Eight from PTA, which still to this day doesn't have a Blu-ray release here what in the, the United States. <laughs> I thought we were getting a Criterion release for this like five or six years ago, and we haven't gotten anything yet. And I still have my DVD on my shelf. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a movie. That's a really great movie. That's I think it's a fantastic movie. Um, another person I want to bring up, the Coen Brothers outside of the Coen brothers and now I can't remember um no I'll just I'll move on oh I'll my just god because I couldn't remember I couldn't remember is it a person was. or is it a duo well we do have um there's a couple other names we haven't mentioned here like uh David O. Russell started in the indie realm um I'm trying to remember what da- David O. Russell's had uh, a very I mean, interesting career he's uh, only really gotten kind of success now He's gotten success over the last decade. Yeah, I mean, really I mean, has. before that, you had like I, I Heart Huckabee, and you know, like some really. He did. He worked with what Ben Stiller a lot. He did do early. He, he did do Three Kings. Yeah, Three Kings, but that was like two thousand, early two thousand. Yeah, Three Kings was like nineteen ninety nine. Was it? Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I'm not very familiar with his nineties work. Uh, um, he did do a movie called Spanking the Monkey. <laughs> look up look up the uh synopsis for that film um flirting with disaster i've actually seen yeah i yeah, actually yeah. own it um it's pretty good but he's only gotten notoriety over the last 10 years what's interesting is that apparently he's a very difficult director to work i've with. heard that yeah i've heard he's kind of an ass <laughs> um i also i mean some of these direct some you know directors are very difficult to work with i've heard tarantino is pretty demanding as a director Specifically, when it comes to sticking with his script, the script is pretty much like his Bible, um, and he wants you to read it exactly, I guess, the way he wants it read, or else he'll fire you in the middle of the middle of the production. Um, but yeah, that's there's, there's been a lot of people. Oh, you know who I wanted to mention? Now I remember. Backtracking now is um, John Singleton, who just passed yeah. away. Um, yeah, he he was someone who came from the indie realm as well with Boys in the Hood which was an indie film that ended up getting picked up uh, by distribution through Columbia Pictures slash Sony um, in the early 90s. And he kind of stayed in the indie realm throughout most of his career, especially specifically in the 90s. A lot of those films were very um, uh, 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 social commentary films, specifically about the, the African-American community and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so he was another one who came up through there as well. There are... The, this is this era I just kind of to put a, like a somewhat of a capper on this so we don't go yeah talking about this forever and I kind of wanted to get a little personal here because when I first started collecting DVDs around 2007 uh, you know 86 around there the first stuff I picked up were from these directors were Pulp Fiction Reservoir Dogs um the clerk X, the clerk's X, uh, uh, DVD, uh, sex lies and videotape. I ended up picking up actually a few years later, but a lot of these were directors that I started picking up, and because these are very, these directors are a very good place to get into if you want to get into modern indie film, and this term quote unquote indie film kind of only started in the nineties. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's crazy to think about the fact that you know. There's, you know, independent cinema has had its place throughout history, but these are probably the most accessible indie movies ever, like from these directors. 
Like, think where do you where what place where there's movies sold do you not see Pulp Fiction sitting on the shelf? Yeah, you know? they're they're in the mainstream. They were able to break through from the indie world, like the underground indie world, where you could, like, only a few people would know about this. Like, the cool people would know. Yeah, about I mean, like, dazed and confused, you can see it in most places where you buy movies. Like, yeah, it's... like, Pulp Fiction is such a big hit, right? You have to remember, Pulp Fiction was also nominated for Best Picture and oh yeah, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it. it remember that year was uh, Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, and Forrest Gump. And Forrest Gump ended up winning. Um, what's interesting is that Shawshank was a movie, I think, put out by Castle Rock. So that was an independent film as well. And that is uh, by Frank Darabont, who... That was his from, first movie. That was his first movie. <laughs> Come out to coming out of the gate with Shawshank. <laughs> it's only downhill from here. <laughs> kind of was, yeah. yeah. I mean, he hasn't done many, many films afterwards. He's, I think, did four other movies, maybe. Green Mile? Green Mile, The Mist. Um, mm. That might be it. That might be it. <laughs> I mean, he, he did a little bit of TV. But, yeah, um, yeah, he did. He did a little of The Walking Dead, and then he got fired. Yeah, um. <laughs> and then since then, I don't really think he's done anything. Um, but yeah, so they, they were able to break through from the indie world to the mainstream world, and that's why they're remembered today. That's why you see, you know, the posters up in people's rooms or or wherever and and it's very interesting how accessible they've been to a mass audience and because these aren't like mass appeal films either these movies like we said very dialogue heavy there's not there these aren't typically action films some of them did do action films like rodriguez did an action did action films quentin tarantino has done action but quentin tarantino's early films specifically his 90s work they're not action movies they're 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 dialogue movies Oh, yeah. uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, all dialogue. He really didn't do an action movie until he did this Kill Bill films. Basically, yeah. those are his action films. And then and then he did um, Death Proof, which is not quite an action movie, but yeah, kind of yeah, had yeah, action yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, which he did with Robert Rodriguez. Well, yeah, he did Planet Terror, and then... Well, Ro- Grindhouse, is, Grindhouse is the, Grindhouse. Is the whole thing. Coincidentally... Man, there's a lot of connections here we're making. Um, <laughs> Grindhouse, just the Grindhouse movies and era, those were independent movies. Oh, yeah. Those B-movies. Before kind of this this boom that we're talking about, uh, independent movies were kind of B-movies. They were kind of, and I mean, shitty movies, if you will. You know, you know, bad acting and, you know, low production grade and all this kind of stuff. Um, but they were able; these filmmakers were able to add a lot of prestige to it. I mean, and shit. The, the the independent of independence now is Troma. <laughs> yeah, they're still around. They started yeah. in the eighties too, I think, with um, Toxic Avenger. Wasn't that yeah. like their first big thing? It's their first big thing, yeah. Yeah, in the seventies, in the sixties and seventies, you had, uh, like I said, underground midnight movie type stuff, Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's kind of like that's kind of an independent, you know. A B, not a yeah, but B movie, if you will. But you also had the work from my one of my favorite people ever on the planet, and that's John Waters. John Waters, I know you guys said yeah, John Waters <laughs> is like his. He basically invented the midnight independent movie with just these trash movies. You know, and they use trash in an endearing way, but they are like they're just they're like there's stuff like you could never get away with putting in a mainstream multiplex. You know what I mean? Things like Pink Flamingos and uh, Multiple Maniacs and Female Trouble, Polyester, all his whole filmography. You can't, it's so out there. Um, set, my favorite is Cecil B. Demented. Um, but yeah, he he was another one kind of working in that underground way, underground way and never got to quite break through to the mainstream. Although oh, I'd love to see John Waters do a superhero movie. Oh, so would I. It would, it, there would be so much dirty sex in it. It'd be it'd be very interesting. Um, also, he but his big break and his kind of his main breakthrough, what mainstream wise was both I think polyester I think was distributed by Paramount, but New Line distributed a lot of his stuff. Um, uh, that movie um, now I can't remember. It's um, I coincidentally have it on my shelf, but it's his biggest. His biggest breakthrough was his most mainstream work, and that was they remade it a few years ago with John Travolta and stuff like that. Um, you remember what it was called? Hairspray. Yeah, I was going to say hairspray. That's yeah. what it was. 
yeah, Hairspray in the 80s was his big mainstream breakthrough, and that was his most, you know, maligned film. Yet again, independent independent film. Yeah. But it wasn't quite, you know, it didn't have the main, it didn't have quite a mainstream appeal. It's more of a, um, a cult movie. And that's another thing, like, a lot of cult films were, were independent films. And a lot of cult films were also, like, you know, quote-unquote bad movies. You know what I mean? Because they're, like, trash. You know what I mean? Things like Troll 2 and, you know, you know, hobgoblins basically anything that was on like mystery science theater 3000 all these yeah. trash b movies that you just sat and laughed at i mean at one of the worst b movie one of the worst like independent movies ever is is hilarious and has a huge following in the uh, the room the room yeah the room yeah it was completely independently funded and distributed by tommy wiseau we don't know where and, he got the money and written but... and directed by him allegedly <laughs> yeah. Allegedly, uh, I don't know. nobody knows where he got the money from. No. Nobody knows anything. All we know is that he 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 broke every rule that you could ever do with filmmaking, in in terms of like having good acting, um, film production, and having a good acting and writing. Oh, mm. so awful. It's rough. Oh, uh, but yeah, but independent independent cinema still perseveres today. It is, although the market has shifted, like we've said, and. And and they're not taking. How do I want to say this? The bigger studios are only getting bigger, and the smaller studios are kind of not growing with them. So the the state of independent cinema going forward is still okay, but it could shrink. You know what I mean? Well, I mean when when there's less big studios, yeah. You know because Disney's buying up everything. They just bought. They just took over uh, Hulu, f- the controlling uh, stock in Hulu now. Right. So now they control Hulu. They got Disney Plus. They, you know they 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 they're they're buying everything. <laughs> and 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 they, I, I'm not in those board meetings. I'm not in those rooms. But their concentration, at least from what we have seen, the big studio concentration from what from at least over the last couple of years, is to make large budgeted films it's, and reap money rewards. Well, just any way to make money. I mean, yeah. they're just yeah. They're they're not they're not conce- they don't care about the art. <laughs> yeah, independent cinema doesn't necessarily make money. It may make by make money. I mean, like it's not making hundreds of millions of dollars. They may they'll make their money back and make a profit possibly, but they're not probably going to make a billion dollars. You know, they're not. I mean? like, lo- they're not. Lo- you know, Disney's not. not Disney's not in film business to get accolade accolades necessarily. They're not trying to make a stamp on film history other than stamp stamping dollar bills i mean that's well, about, that's they about got it. rid of you know one of the independent subsidiaries within fox fox 2000 yeah and that was a that they distributed really um pres- not prestigious but critically acclaimed i guess would be would be a proper term you know fox 2000 pictures um they released some really great films i mean they released um uh, uh well i mean of spies but i mean um yeah there's a lot of great films here i'm just looking at a list um and they and now they no longer exist they know they they're no longer around so what does that yeah hidden figures is one of their biggest releases uh love simon it was was a really big hit from last year now they no longer exist so what happens with all of those movies that were going to be made there where do they go now do they go to these other subsidiaries that already have their priorities because they're already taking in the work that they would take in no matter what? So now there's just kind of a lot of movies. My biggest fear is that there are a lot of movies that we would have seen that we won't be able to that won't exist now because yeah. of because of these these this lack of focus of independent cinema for you know because of the economics of it all. Or because like they're not they they don't make money or you know they're dead weight or whatever the, the nonsense terms they want to they want to <laughs> throw at us. <laughs> oh, so that's my little rant about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we don't now that we've we've you know kind of went beyond the '90s area yes. uh, in, into out, today out, today's economic problems within. It. I think that's a good capper. Yeah, it's a good place to end. We we talked about a little bit of all the filmmakers that are. Uh, from that time period that are still kind of hitting us today with movies. And um, there, there are, of course, many more, but them were the major players. Um, and I think that's a good stopping place. I mean, 
If you guys have any other filmmakers you want to throw at us that we didn't talk about, throw it in the comments. Would you uh, consider Christopher Nolan part of that mm, realm of people? I mean, he, obviously, technically, he's from he you know made his first couple movies in the nineties, but right. it was like late nineties, and it was like I don't know that I got the same. I don't feel the same flavor. He, I think he comes from a different. He, he's. A little I think, bit I think at the beginning part, of a new generation. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's part of the, the generation after that generation. And yeah. I bring that up because if you watch his movie Following, which came out, I want to say like 98 or so, I think on the Criterion, when there's an interview with him, was a big influence for him was he watched Clerks, and that was a big influence for him to be able to make movies, like have the ability to make movies. So yet again, that's someone learning from this generation of people to now go on to have an amazing career with amazing success in the mainstream in the mainstream world but starting out in his own independent field and expanding outward through that so we're we're now like kind of like a generation past the generation we're talking about and we're seeing a lot of them become very successful yeah it's very interesting but but yes yeah yeah, once again, let's not go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, come on. Um, get <laughs> I'm going to brew you in. I'm brew you in. <laughs> All right, so that's going to be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Hey, Andrew, where can you be found, man? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can also find uh, me on Instagram under the title of this show, Cinema Discovery Project, throwing in all the goodies on there that I get. Um, You can also find the audio for this podcast on Podbean, uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. And that will be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Thank you for listening, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will.